So we've been working through the, the uh, churches, the letters in Revelation to the churches. And I'll tell you, like I said when we first started this, I, I taught this series about six years ago. Now, I haven't looked at any of my notes from way back when, so I don't know if I'm teaching the same thing or not. But I will tell you this, that as I've been going through this, it's been particularly hard for me and challenging for me as, as a pastor to wrestle with some of the things that Jesus is talking about to the church and also to, I think, people as individuals. And I know that some of the messages haven't been easy for all of you either. And, well, you know, welcome to my world, I guess, during the week. Um, but, it, and, and I'll tell you, when I, when I got to uh, Sardis this week, and it was really challenging to me as, as a pastor. And so, you know, hang on. And uh, we're just going to get right into this. I'm going to pray and we'll go. God, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your word, though. Sometimes it's really difficult to read. And it's really difficult to get a hold of. And uh, Lord, strengthen us so that we could live the word of God. Strengthen us so that we don't lose our focus, that we don't get busy in things that mean nothing, but that we would realize who we are. We would understand grace and mercy better and that we could be Jesus in this world. Now I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so the church in Sardis is probably one of the most ancient of the, um, ci- uh, the, the city of Sardis, I'm sorry, is one of the most ancient of the cities that Jesus writes to in, um, in the book of Revelation. It was probably established somewhere around 1200 B.C.-ish, And it was a very great and wealthy city. It was said that the birthplace of what we consider money began in Sardis. You see, it was so wealthy that they started to print or mint coins of gold and silver to be used in the commerce of the city. It was known for its wool trade. And just like Thyatira, it was known for its expensive dyes. Sardis was also a military powerhouse. It very rarely lost any of the battles that it ever fought in. In fact, it was feared uh, by the cities that were, that were around her. Now, in the back of the, the city itself was Mount Molus. And on this mountain, there was a, a very tall rock ridge. And on that ridge was built the citadel of the city. And it was considered impossible to get to that citadel. It could not be attacked. And in fact, it would be a very, it was a slam dunk to defend. Nobody, nobody can get there. But on two occasions, in the year 547 BC, in the year 214 BC, Sardis fell because that citadel got taken. It would seem that the army just got kind of, overconfidence, that there was no way, no way that we're ever going to be able to be attacked with with this. Look at what we have here. And overconfidence bred comfort, and comfort bred laziness. 
And the story goes that on both occasions, some men, 15 or so men, climbed this impossible cliff, got to the top and watched and found the watchmen just took, they, they, they weren't doing anything. They weren't on watch, caught them off guard. They overtook the citadel, opened the city gates and let the enemy in. And both times, very quickly, very quickly, Sardis fell. And the first time, they thought it was impossible. There's no way that we can lose a military battle. In fact, we've never lost a military battle in hundreds and hundreds of years. But it was possible, and they did lose. Overconfidence has a way of repeating itself if it's not learned from. And so complacency became dangerous for this city. Laziness became dangerous for this city. It's interesting how feeling safe can sometimes lead to disaster. The people of Sardis, they were known for their loose living, immorality. No big surprise there. It seems that many of the ancient cities in the ancient world uh, had this idea of immorality that ran rampant. They loved the good life. The city was very wealthy, and they loved all of the things that money and wealth can bring, all of the excesses, all of the extremes you can find in the city of Sardis. It was a city of decadence. Now, the church that found itself in this city actually had it really good there. They were not under persecution from any of the cults. They were not under persecution from Caesar worship. They were not under persecution from the Roman government. There was nothing inside the church. Nobody inside the church was teaching or encouraging heresy, teaching or encouraging compromise. This church was at peace. From inside and out, they were just moving along quite nicely in the city. And it's in fact that this peace is the very reason why the church was in trouble. And so let's go to the words of Jesus in Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. For the angel of the church in Sardis writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Those who are victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never never blot out their names from the book of life, but will acknowledge their names before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now there's a lot going on in there, so we have to begin by kind of breaking it down a little bit. Possibly. Got to be a better way. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. As usual, Jesus will speak to these churches and he wants to set the tone. He wants them to understand the authority of which these words are being spoken to them. Who are speaking them? 
It's Jesus Christ himself. And he wants to make sure they get it. There are weight to these words. And he says he holds the seven spirits of God. Maybe it's a reference to Zechariah chapter 4. But what it's saying here is that Jesus holds all power in his hands. Nothing escapes him. He is all-powerful. And he holds the, the seven stars in his hand. And remember, we, we looked at it way back in the beginning. The seven stars represent the churches. So Christ holds all the power of God, and he still holds his church. The church can do nothing, absolutely nothing, without Christ. Because he is the one who holds the power of God in his hand. And he is sovereign over everything. The churches are his. The churches are his. He holds them. They're in his grasp. The church, capital C, and all of the little churches that we like to think of today. On so many differences that we separate ourselves with. Jesus holds them in his hand. And then he says this. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. If you notice in this letter, the structure of how Jesus speaks is a little different. The first four letters, he starts out with establishing his authority, and then he says something good about the church. But in this letter, it would seem that Jesus has nothing good to say about them. And like we looked at last week, this is not a dig. This is not something to make them feel bad. This is not a way to to, to jab them. Jesus wants life and vitality for his church. But here in Sardis, the church, their strength has actually become their weakness. Jesus says, I know all of the things that you've done. I know who you are. I know your track record. And you have this reputation for being alive. But guess what? You're dead. Another way to interpret it, a literal translation would be, you have a name that's live. But in reality, your name is death. Man, that, that hurts. Could you imagine Jesus telling the church, you're dead. You are a dead church. Because this church actually believes that it's healthy. That it's, that it's alive, that it's doing the right thing. They've fallen into this comfort zone of resting on what they've done in the past. Look at our track record. Look at what we've done. We were once, we were once doing all these things, but now it's a dead church. Now it would seem that there's nothing going on. And Jesus calls them out. Jesus tells them, you know what? Yeah. At one time, you were alive. But now, now, you're dead. Churches are constantly in danger of dying. I don't mean just by closing the doors dying. I mean something much more extreme, much more dangerous. Churches are always in danger of becoming spiritually dead. There is nothing worse than a church that continues to operate but is spiritually a dead church. And it can happen if a church just focuses on its past. Look at the things that we used to do. Remember the good old days. Remember when we used to do that. 
as the church, we have to continually challenge ourselves to be moving forward, pressing forward, answering the call that God has put on the community, finding where God is leading us, finding where he's working, and join him in that work. We cannot just live on memories of days of old, but we have to be continually moving the kingdom forward, shining light into the darkness. This is what the church is called to do. And the church is in danger of dying if it holds, if it holds too tight to, to form instead of to life and freedom and openness. When ritual or tradition become more important than living in freedom, the church is in trouble. Let me give you an example. This week and, and last week, I've come up here, and I have taken off my flops. I left them right here. In many churches, that is heresy. You do not take off your shoes as a pastor and preach the word of God to people. Who do, you think, who do I think I am? And at best, at best, it's irreverence. And believe me, I've been called irreverent throughout my entire pastoral career. I consider it a badge of honor. I remember, I remember at one time, uh, back at my old church, nobody was there, and I was in the sanctuary at the time, and I had my Les Paul guitar, my PV50 watt amp, and my wah-wah pedal. And I was ripping into Amazing Grace, Jimi Hendrix style. It was, it was amazing. It really was. It was just this beautiful, I wish I would have recorded it because... I'd be famous. And so I am playing, and I didn't know anybody was in the church. And then somebody was, unfortunately, in that church. And they came up to me appalled at what I've just done. That I would think of playing Amazing Grace like that. You know, that's, but, but see, the, the point is this. When the church holds on to form instead of life, there's a problem. I'm not mocking getting dressed up nice. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I get dressed up every time for a wedding and a funeral. I really do. Except the one I did in Punta Cana and that wasn't so dressy, but ha, ha, ha. Anyway, so, but I'm not, I'm not mocking dressing nice, but when we, when we focus on how we're dressed, when we focus on uh, what translation of the Bible you should be reading, when we focus on the order of service, when we focus on you shouldn't be watching that movie, you shouldn't be listening to that music, we have missed it. We're focusing on the external things that aren't important instead of focusing on the life in the spirits. And when we lose that focus, we're in danger of dying. And see, the church is in trouble when it loves systems more than it loves Jesus. I know of churches that look at their constitution as a sacred text. And if you go against that constitution, OMG, you are in trouble. Do not, do not speak against the Constitution. And no church would admit to raising it or elevating it to the Word of God, but I've seen it done in practice. And it's dangerous. We have a Constitution here at this church, believe it or else. And I will say that in all integrity, we do our very best to follow what we've written, what we've set up as our structure. 
But I love that in the last almost three years that we've been together, together, not once have we had to reference that, that constitution, that structure for ministry. Not once have we ever argued over it. Not once has it ever caused division. You know why? Because this is the text that first and foremost we put our faith and our trust in. And nothing else, nothing else comes close to the authority of the word of God. The church is in trouble when they put something before God's word, no matter what it is. And ultimately, a church is in trouble of dying when it gets comfortable, when it gets lazy, when it becomes too secure in who it might think it is. We start to just lose vitality of life. We always have to remember we are not a country club. We're not a resort. We're not a sorority. We're not a frat house. We are a community of faith. And everything that we do needs to be done with the purpose the purpose of living the gospel, loving people, growing as a community together, bringing men, women, and children into a more deeper, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we ever lose that focus, we are in trouble of dying because that is what the church is called to. And it would seem that the church in Sardis has fallen into its comfort zone. And in the eyes of Jesus, that is death. Verse 2 and 3. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus is not going to leave this church hanging. He's going to give them an out. He's going to give them a way to rectify the problem. And he, he kind of yells at them, wake up, smell the coffee. And, and my translation says smell the coffee. Smell the coffee. You have fallen asleep. A literal translation would be, Show yourselves to be on watch. The church is just like the city in which it's in. The, ch- the city has fallen twice. Why? Because it got comfortable. It got lazy. It just went through the motions. They weren't on guard. They weren't on watch. They were overconfident. And twice the enemy came in and destroyed the city and took it over. And the church is being rebuked for the same thing. And Jesus is telling the church, wake up. Strengthen what you have. It would seem that this church is asleep. And because they're sleeping, they're dying in their sleep. And what little strength is there, it seems, it seems that there's a spark. There's, there's something there. There's a few people that are, that are holding on. Jesus says, strengthen those things. Don't let them die because if they go, everything goes. See, as a whole, on a whole, this church is dead, but there's, there's still something a little bit that's there. 
And Jesus said, you've got to get to that and you've got to strengthen that. Or man, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Do something before it all goes away. Wake up. Don't be caught sleeping. And it would seem that this dying of the church has been going on for some time. It's not something new. It's not something that's happened quickly. And I would say it's that way with, with all the churches that have ever come to, to this place, that comfort zone, that place where they're just dying, they're, where they're dead. It's not like the pastor gets up one day and says, okay, listen, everybody, just exhale, relax. Let's all just get comfortable. Don't worry about what's going on out there. Let's see this month if we can focus on some good old-fashioned spiritual death. Because I'm sure if we can get there, then eventually the physical death, it's going to come. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. It's, it's inch by inch. It's, it's step by step until the church wakes up one morning and they're just trying to survive. And that's not what Jesus would have for his people. That's not what we would have for communities of faith, not just here, but across the world. We have to be watchful in our weaknesses, in those things that tempt us as individuals, in those weaknesses who we are as a community. And I know that sounds like such a duh statement. Yeah, we have to be vigilant and, and diligent in watching those, those weaknesses that, that we all encounter. But Jesus is telling us, be on your guard. Wake up. Don't let those things get a hold of you where you can fall prey to sin and suck, suck the life out of you. Because what goes on outside in your life, you bring into this community. And so we are all affected by your life out there. And I'll say this till the day I die. Your faith is very personal, but it was never meant to be lived privately. We are a community of faith. And what goes on out there affects us all in here. We have to be watchful in our weakness. But I would say even more important, more important, we have to be careful and be on guard and watchful in the things that we consider our strengths. Sardis fell at its strongest points. They were overconfident and sure that no one could ever touch them. At that citadel. And guess what? They did. And they lost the battle twice. When we, if, if we ever start to think in our own minds, man, you know, I, I would never do that. I mean, I would never let that happen to me. Or in our community of faith, you know, our church, we would never, we would never say that. We would never do that. We would never let that happen. If we come in with that attitude, we are already in trouble. We are already in trouble because we are becoming too comfortable. We are becoming overconfidence. Laziness, busyness and things that don't really matter. Comfort. They, they let arrogance kind of grow. We can be caught off guard. Those things are dangerous in the life of a Jesus follower. Those things are dangerous in the life of a community of faith. And Jesus is going to call this church. He's going to tell them exactly what their comfort looks like, what their laziness looks like. What's it say? 
For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Nothing this church is doing is adequate, is making a different difference, is sufficient. They have grown lazy. And I'm sure it's probably the same works that we, the same deeds that Thyatira was congratulated about. Love and faith and service and perseverance. This church just doesn't have it. And I bet you there's more things that they're not doing right. Because, because why? The church is dead. There is no life in this church. And so something very, very rotten is taking place. And the God, our God, the judge of all things, sees what's going on. And he tells him, man, what, what are you doing? Nothing you're doing is making a difference. Man, you've got to wake up. Or else I'm going to come to you. And you're not going to know when. And it's, it's not going to be good. You see, God has a standard. For his church. And I know we, we love to talk about grace and mercy, and I get that. And our God is a God of grace and mercy. But you know what? God has a standard for our lives. And that's the standard we need to worry about. Human standards? Pfft, who cares? It's the, God's standards and God's calling. Jesus is saying, you know what you've been called to do. Now do it. Wake up. Don't you get it? And, you know, our calling isn't to attend church on Sunday. I mean, I'm glad you're all here. And I believe this is an important part of the life of a believer. When the community gathers together to worship, to hear the word, to encourage one another. But this is not just what we're called to. I've said it many, many times. If this is all you got, you're on a downhill slope. You are losing the battle losing the battle we are called the church is called to be the light of the world the church is called to push back darkness and to share the gospel with those who who don't know and jesus said wake up wake up church in sardis or there's going to be trouble and you too will fall just like the city fell. And you're not even going to know when I'm going to come in and do it, but you will fall. And I believe that message is a message to the entire church worldwide. And if it's a message to the entire church worldwide, then it's a message to Oasis Church in Cheshire, Connecticut. We, we need to continually take a look at, examine how we're doing. How are we doing as a community of faith? I was thinking this week, what if Jesus wrote us a letter? He sat down and said to the angel of the church in Cheshire, Connecticut, Oasis, what would that letter say? Would it say, like they said last week, he said last week, I know your deeds, your deeds of love and faith and service and perseverance. And you've been doing more now than you have in the past. As I really wrestled with that this week and thinking about that, and just taking that letter, I, I, I do think that Jesus would see our, 
our deeds of love and service. I do think he would see our faith and our perseverance because I do think we're, we're that kind of church. But if I was, but being really honest with myself, I don't think he would write, we're doing more now than we did at first. You see, I know that we've, we, we, we people have really stepped up. We have, you know, people overseeing the building. We have people overseeing the kitchen now. We have 16 teams that come in and clean on a rotating basis. I mean, I love the fact that people have stepped up. But we've kind of shifted things around. And we're not, we're not doing more than what we did when we first began. And that's, that's just our reality. Let me, give you, let me give you an example. When we first began Oasis... We decided to do this, and this is, by the way, not a shameless plug for what's coming up because you know that I would love and take credit for a shameless plug every chance I get. So this is not it. It just happens to fall at the right time. When we first began Oasis, we did this thing called Outside the Walls. And what we thought about is, you know what? Let's cancel church on a Sunday, and let's get opportunities for people to get outside of these walls into the community and make a difference, to be the light of the world. And one of the reasons why we decided to do it on a Sunday was because we thought we would get a better turnout because people are already in kind of church mode and they would kind of go out on a Sunday morning. Now, the first event that we did was, was very cool. I mean, we were worried that we were going ha- we to have too many people sign up for the, the projects that we had. And so we said, wow, this, this is good. We're going to do this once a quarter because we want to be the light of the Lord. I believe that we have been called to make a difference in the community. Any God-loving, Jesus-fearing community of faith should make a difference in the community that it's in. And we wanted to do that. But then things started to wane a little bit. And all of a sudden we found ourselves with all these service projects and and, uh, no one really signing up to do them. But we had to do one. We had to cancel that, that weekend. We had to go to the children's home in Cromwell because we had promised we would be there, so we sent a team. And then there was one outside the wall where I challenged you. I said, go out into your communities, to your work, to wherever, and find needs out there. And then bring them back to us, and we will create an entire weekend of service around the needs that you had found. And you know how many people came back? No one. And I can't believe that we live in a perfect world, a perfect world where there are absolutely no needs out there at all. And so we had to cancel an entire Outside the Walls weekend. And so we are doing some good things, but we, we, are, not, we are not doing more than what we did at first. And here's one of my tensions in all of this, and I'm not beating up on you. Well, I am a little bit, but um, not a lot because... It struck me this week. It struck me this week, and, and, it, and it, it made me shiver. Every letter that's written in the book of Revelations begins this way. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, to the angel of the church, to the angel of the church. And many scholars believe that they're writing that letter to the leader of that church. And so if Jesus wrote a letter to this church, guess who it would be addressed to? Me. And I hold 
if not equal, even more responsibility for the things that, that we're, we're not doing. Please don't hear me that we, we suck and we're not doing what we should be doing. I mean, we, we're, we're a good church. I don't believe we're a dying church. I don't see that at all. I mean, I, I look at you every week and I tell you guys I love you. And, and that comes from my heart because I love this church and the people here. But we have been called by God for a bigger purpose than each of us can actually accomplish ourselves. We have been called to leave a bigger footprint than what each of us individually can leave. And so we have to be on guard. We're getting too comfortable. Getting all cozy in our nice new building with our nice chairs and AC, you know, we got the coffee room over there. We got we got a grill, okay? Are we styling or what? I mean, that's not that's not that's not going away. That's gonna be the oasis grill. Uh-huh. Those things can be dangerous if we lose our focus and if we are not on our guard. We have to continually ask ourselves that question. What if Jesus wrote us a letter? What would it say? What would he tell us that we were doing good? Because I know that he would. I, I, with all confidence, I do believe he would tell us we're doing good in some areas. But where would he call us out? Where would he want to correct us? Not so that we feel bad, but so that we can live and walk in the authority that has been given to us as a body of Christ for the good of the kingdom of God. We have to continually ask ourselves as a community, are we living faithfully to the calling? Are we living a life that's worthy of the sacrifice of this table? Do you realize that the Son of God died for each of us? Are we living a life that's worthy of this sacrifice? It's an important question to keep asking. It's, important, it's an important question to keep rolling around in our minds and wrestling with. Because an honest answer will bring this church to even greater life. An honest answer and acting on that answer will push back the darkness beyond what we can ever imagine. We can't get comfortable. We can't be the church in Sardis who thinks that they're alive, but in the eyes of God, they are dead. We always have to be on guard. On guard in our weakness and on guard in our strengths. And so that's, that's the meditation this morning for, for communion as individuals, and as a community. Are we living a life that's worthy of what this table represents? So spend some time kind of wrestling with that. Come when you're ready. Take the bread and and the cup. Sit down and and we will take communion together.